place it comfortably. So good morning everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yep, that's good. Well, welcome again to the Worldwide Dojo on the World Wide Web of Interbeing. Um, the name of this Dharma talk this morning is just called Stories. Um, as you would know, being a human being, human beings um, have a great gift of making stories. By that I mean what makes us different from other animals as, is that we have this capacity to um, construct an abstract world and to construct a fantasy kind of world. Um, and it's our strength as a species and it's also our weakness in the same sense that dinosaurs, the great strength of dinosaurs was how big they were, you know, in terms of having to survive. But because they were so big, it led to their demise. So it's their strength and their weakness. And some people would consider that human brains have developed along the lines that our conceptualizing ability and our ability to construct our huge prefrontal lobes is our strength and our weakness too, and our capacity to create stories and then believe that they're true um, doesn't always um, abide well, you know, and create suffering. And um, stories can be um, individual stories um, that we've made up about our own life, or they can be family stories, or they can be tribal community stories, or they can be nation-state stories. They can become like history. Um, history is in many ways a, a story. Um, and working in my profession as a psychotherapist, really what you're doing is listening to people's stories every day. And it's kind of an art of listening to, empathising with the storyteller you know, and, and kind of, it's like entering a novel. It's like when you enter a novel, you, you, you enter into a world where you, you, you believe in the story, right? But you, you know it's just a novel, you know, kind of like, so that's the way we always enter into a film or whatever. We, we know it's a story and we enter into the spirit as though it's real, um, but it's not really real. It's just something that someone made up. And so... As a therapist, you, you're empathising with the storyteller and what they would feel if they believed their story, but you're never, never really entirely believing the story. Right? You realise it's a story, someone's uh, construction of their life. And in, in particular, having done 40 years of doing couple therapy, you'd never want to believe anyone's version of the story of why their relationship is not working. Uh, really, uh, um, you listen to it and you empathise, but to believe that, that is the truth, um, not really. Um, but it's a matter of empathising with both of the storytellers in the relationship, you know, and trying to see a way through. And perhaps 
assisting people not to be so attached to their stories. Mm -hmm. And it's not as though the outcome is finding a positive story. It's just seeing through the story, you know, that you, you're, not, you're not caught in, in the web of it anymore. <clears throat> um, I mentioned maybe a few weeks ago over the coronavirus shutdown or the early stages of it when I wasn't very busy. I started writing some um, fictional short stories. And when you're actually there as a storyteller, um, it gives you a different perspective on, on the nature of stories because you realise it's just something that you made up. Right? And you're inviting other people into entering that fictional world with you as though they kind of believe it, but it's just a story. It's like a, like a painter with a blank canvas. You could just make up anything you want to, really. Mm -hmm. And um, when you start to get that understanding of when, when you're a storyteller yourself and you've made up a story um, for others to read, you, you really get a sense of just how fictional it is, how it's just a construction mm -hmm. that you're inviting other people to, to believe in as well. And um, when, you, when you look at beyond fiction, you know, when you look at um, religions and so on, well, I'm willing to believe there was such a person called Christ who lived, or Buddha who, who lived. But when you look at Christianity and what Buddhism is, they're just a whole lot of constructed stories around this individual and their life and, and what they said. And, and they, they're, they're very much shaped. Do you know, there's things that are accepted into the story and things that aren't accepted into the story or things which were overblown in the story, like that the Buddha was some superhuman person, for instance. So religions are stories, you know. Um, political views are stories. And where the delusion, delusional content comes in is that stories are all of the relative world. Mm -hmm. um, they're not of the absolute world, they're of the relative world. But as soon as we think that they're absolute, we're deluded. Mm -hmm. Because there's no, there's no certainty, there's no ground. Everything is groundless. But that's the delusion of, say, political fundamentalism or religious fundamentalism, is believing that a story is the absolute truth when it's just a story. Someone made it up. The collection of stories that someone made up about someone's life. Mm -hmm. And we find it endearing, you know, when we see children engrossed in a story, you know, and they, they really kind of believe that it's true. And it's very endearing to see a child lost in that fantasy world. Um, but actually, adults do the same thing as well. You know, it's just a more sophisticated story. It's called religion or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or philosophy or whatever, that you really believe to be true. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to Zen practice, um, one of the practices I've recently gone back to is actually after a discussion I had with, with Alex about 
concentration meditation. So I've actually gone back to doing a lot of that, like say this morning for the first hour, where I'm just counting my breaths for the whole hour. Now, if you just concentrate on your breath and breath counting for a whole hour, you can't generate stories, or at least you can't invest in them anyway. Um, And so for that period of time, maybe not completely, but your mind is relatively free of story making. And it's like you're free from that for a moment and it's kind of refreshing and clears your mind not to be repeating stories to yourself all the time. And if you go then to our, the second here practice we do of labeling, so we focus on the breath and then we are constantly looking out for the stories or the constructions, the mental constructions that our mind has created and we give them a quick label, um, non-attached to them and return to the body and the breath. It's then identifying the stories and the favourite stories that we invest in, you know, and we get caught up in. And then with shikantasa or just open awareness, we're just being present without any particular focus, just watching the whole of the present moment come and go. But it's very important that if you're doing that shikantasa practice, that you're not just getting caught up in stories. That's not what shikantasa practice is. It's not just sort of some easier practice where you just kind of float in a dreamlike story phase and go from one story to the other. Um, That's why concentration, the development of concentration is very important to really do shikantasa well. It's being open to just sensory embodied experience without making up stories. Or should I say, the mind will make up stories. That's what it will do. But you're aware that that's what's happening. They will arise and the constructions will happen in your mind. But you're not deceived by them. You know? You're not investing in them that they're necessarily true. Now, in the one of our koans, it's a really fun koan. Um, which is called, it's case 12 of the Mumang Khan, and it's called Yui Yen Calls Master. The crazy, some of these old teachers, the priest Yui Yen called Master to himself every day and answered himself, yes. Then he would say, be aware. And then he would reply, yes. Don't be deceived by others. No, no. Some crazy guy talking to himself, having a conversation to himself. But it's a wonderful story. And um, what is it? Who who are the others? Don't be deceived by others. This is the point of the koan. Who are the others? Mm -hmm. But also, he's not just saying, don't be deceived by others. Don't. Suikan, don't, don't be deceived by your own stories you make up as well. Mm-hmm. The verse is also instructive. Students of the way do not know truth. They only know their consciousness up to now. Or I would say this word is translated in different ways. Sometimes it's consciousness, sometimes it's karma. 
But I think the spirit of it is, students of the way do not know truth. They only know their stories up to now. This is the source of endless birth and death. The fool calls it the original self. Mm -hmm. So it is the nature of our our practice. It's at the core of our practice to see through this deceptive mental conceptual construction storytelling practice that we engage in almost every day of our lives. We don't have to stop it, um, but we have to see through it. Robert Aitken, as you know, who was one of my teachers, who was a very um, intellectual, scholarly man who who was was um, immersed in um, English literature and, and Zen literature, so he's a man of letters, um, used to say, which is very, it's a very useful way of understanding this, um, use concepts, don't be used by them. Mm-hmm. That's a very, a very good little saying to keep in mind as we go about our everyday lives. Use concepts, don't be used by them. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we come to, um, say, political narratives, you know, that happen in the news and everything all the time, um, there are dominant narratives that come through that dominate the way we look at the world and then there's other minor narratives that don't get much of a, a voice but then they become louder at times. But So there's, there's many different narratives that are happening um, and some narratives you could say are useful narratives, you know, just like there's useful concepts and I've probably one that we would probably all agree on is a, is a useful construction is is the is is equality between people and equality regardless of race or gender or whatever um, that we recognize an equality that runs through things but that too is a construction it's a human construction if you look at nature one there's not a narrative in nature like dogs and cats don't go around with a story about how superior they are Right, or how worthless they are, that what they might be. Um, um, neither do they go around with ideas of equality. There isn't any sense of superiority or inferiority in nature, but that neither is there any any construct of equality either. It's a human construction, but it's a useful one. And time is a useful construction, right? and also a sense of self is a useful construction. You know, as long as we see that it's just a construction, it's an, 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 a sort of accumulation of stories that I've experienced in my life that I call me. And they're not someone else's stories, they're my stories, but they're still just a story. So I should not invest in it so greatly. And when we look at the Heart Sutra, when you go back to the the essential teachings of Buddhism and one of the, the main sutras that we, re, we recite every day. The Heart Sutra, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's about seeing through all constructs is one of the phrases at the beginning of it. And that's the essence of the Heart Sutra. That's what, what true wisdom 
is in, in Buddhism. It's not a story, it's not a philosophical construction about what is true, but it's about what is there when we're no longer deluded by mental constructions in our mind and that we, we see clearly, which is a, a don't-know mind. Um, just to, to finish off, um, my teacher, Joko, um, um, told me once that um, she thought of, she made reference to the story of the, the Wizard of Oz, which I think is one of the most wonderful stories that was ever written. It's got a lot of depth to it. But Joko in her time was um, a very, you could say, famous teacher in America and had this huge, vibrant centre with all these people engaged in the practice. And she said to me once, she said, you know, everyone thinks there's, you know, this big, amazing thing going on. But she said, she said, you know, the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, do you know how Dorothy goes on this journey to find the Wizard of Oz? And when, they, when she finally finds him in the castle, <coughs> she pulls open the curtain and all is there is this sort of bald little old middle-aged man working some machinery and a, and a, mic, and a microphone, you know. Um, and, and, and it's like he's been exposed. She said, I'm, I'm like, I feel like everyone thinks there's this big amazing thing, you know, but I'm kind of like this wizard behind the curtain. And when, when the wizard was exposed, he, he becomes very humble and he says, he says, really, I'm, I'm just a lot of humbug. Mm-hmm. He said, he said uh, and the telling words were, he says, um, I'm a good man, but I'm a very bad wizard. Uh-huh. And what's wonderful about the story as well, as you may remember, is there is... Um, uh, a scarecrow and a scarecrow has no brains and um, a tin man who has no heart and a lion who has no courage and after the wizard has found out for who he is and says he's a lot of humbug and he's a very bad wizard nevertheless he's got a lot of wisdom there and compassion because he gives the um, the scarecrow a diploma, which is a representation of that he has a brain. Uh-huh. And he gives the lion a medal, which is an indication of um, validating his bravery. And he gives the tin man a heart-shaped watch that ticks, which indicates that all of those three characters always had those, those attributes inside of them. Mm-hmm. They only had to realise them and validate them. Mm-hmm. So, um, Joko was a very good woman, um, but she was a very bad wizard. And Christ was a very good man, but he was a very bad wizard too. And the Buddha was a good man, and he was a very bad wizard. And you're a very good person too, but you're a very bad wizard. Mm-hmm. And me too. And, and our practice is to see, come back and see our essential, there is an essential goodness there which we don't recognise. 
But if we're caught up, if we're not in touch with it and then we're just caught up in all of the personal and external constructions we make about life and that's where we live, then we won't, we won't touch base with that essential goodness which is there. It's there, but we won't, we'll, be, we'll be caught up in something else which is quite delusion. That's what delusion is. It's kind of like being in a story and believing the story is true. And when there are our own personal stories and we really believe them to be true, then that is the source of our suffering in life. Mm-hmm. And that is the essence of what we're doing today and what we do in all our practice is to see through the story that's just a story that we've projected onto life and to come back to the suchness of what just is.